Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with a promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Buck Sanders. You're listening to the Inside Carolina show, Inside Carolina radio show, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Guys, uh, I'll start with you, Buck, since you were there in person. Made the trip out to California, had a great trip, you and Mrs. Buck. We talked about it last week on air. Fascinating trip. And then the ball game starts. Uh, just your overall sense of maybe what you saw in that first half. Uh, did it look any different in person than it did on television? I can't imagine what it looked like on television. I haven't rewatched the game yet. I haven't. It looked uh, bad, Buck. Fortified my. I haven't fortified myself with uh, adult, uh, refreshing adult beverages enough to take that uh, mission on. But uh, if it looked worse on television than it worked in, than it looked in person, then yeah, I couldn't bear it. I mean, it was horrible. Um, the the problem was that. Three and out, three and out, three and out, interception, three and out, interception, three and out, interception. Of course, everybody saw that, but on the other side of the ball, North Carolina was playing great defensively, but couldn't capitalize on it. You know, any normal, I mean, I could take a pull of random John Bunning offense off the table with maybe even Matt Baker as the quarterback. And, and that's the current Matt Baker, at, not the one back then. Right. The, the, the Matt Baker that we all know and love today. Um, and and it would have been fine. North Carolina would have won by 15 points. But oddly enough, Larry Fedora, offensive guru, can talk offense all day long. Him and Greg Barnes have spent hours together talking nothing about nothing about x's and o's on offense but in that game butch davis give me john shoop you know I, i'll take john shoop and tj yates and uh you know hakeem nicks and they would have slaughtered california uh with the defense that was on the field yesterday so i mean um uh, I, I don't know if i can make a stronger statement than that um, Tommy and um, so we'll, that's basically all I got to say about how it looked in person Jason he mentioned John Shoot. what's funny is a buddy of mine that texts all the time during the during the game uh, and Buck he'll be sitting across the aisle from you um, in Keenan Stadium come September 15th he's a he Johnson County guy huh uh, he's Wilson County guy, but a great guy. Wilson up, County guy. Grew up uh, behind him and his family growing up through my formative years in Keenan Stadium. But Jason, he texted me and he said, uh, 
this is about as bad as John Shoot. And I was like, Worse. John, yeah, I was like, John Shoot's offense would be torching these guys. Uh, your thoughts on what we just saw. I mean, this is the perplexing thing for me. Okay. It's always been about offense. It's always been about offense. It's always been about offense. And now they have a, a, a decent defense that could be pretty good. We'll see how the suspensions of Carney and Fox affect the next, uh, I guess, eight weeks. But that offense couldn't get anything done. And so your task with on this podcast is trying to break down as to why that was. So I'll let you start now. Well, we've I'm already talked about this off air, by the way. So, yeah, he was, and I, yeah, he was prepared for that question. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm going to preface this like I did uh, off air with the caveat that I need to go back and and look more closely myself to really have a, a good grasp on what's going on. This is much more of a of a of an instant reaction on my part, just from you know what I what I saw looking as closely as I could, but, you know, not, not studying each play in detail, but um, first of all, so you're talking about, us, oh, this is as bad us. as John Shoup. <laughs> I don't remember a John Shoup offense that had nine drives, excluding the end of half drive in, in, in a half, uh, but nine drives that went three plays or fewer for either a punt or an interception, one of which was a pick six. That that's, that is as bad an offensive half of football as I think anyone will ever see from a power five team and, and about as bad as I, I, I certainly don't wish a worse half of offensive football on North Carolina in, in it's, you know, future of, of football. So uh, anybody who says that that was like shoot, it's just not, you guys are right about that. It's just not even, I mean, it's far worse. Um, but I've, I've tried really hard as I think about this to, to, to say, you know, to avoid being overly negative, to avoid, uh, you know, laying the, laying the blame at the feet of, you know, one, one thing, uh, one factor, because the thing is when you have that big of an offensive debacle, it's not one thing. There's more than one thing that went wrong. Uh, that said, I mean, it, it did appear to me that first of all, they didn't really trust Nathan Elliott's arm. The, the 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 play calling did not appear to me that that they were uh, that they were trusting Nathan Elliott a lot in the passing game. And it's not an arm strength thing, folks. I mean, I'm I'm telling you that right now. He's got a strong enough arm to make the throws, but it didn't look like there was a lot of trust there in terms of how the game was called. First of all, early on, and then by the fourth drive when we saw that really bad interception and then a, a worse interception a little bit later, you, you started to see, Oh, this is there. There's some, there's some issues there in terms of what they've got at the quarterback position right now that, that if you don't have good play at that spot, I don't care what kind of offense you're running or what plays you call in college football you're not going to have a lot of success. And they, you know, Nathan Elliott would be the first person to tell you that he played a really poor first half. And when you have poor, poor play from that position, you're going to struggle, but it wasn't just Nathan Elliott. When you look at what they, what, what, what they were doing on the outside, Anthony Ratliff Williams dropped a couple of, 
a couple of balls that he's just got to catch. Elliot puts him in in a position where he can win a one-on-one and he doesn't win the one-on-one on the edge early on. Later on, Elliot throws probably the best ball he threw all day, puts it right on him going into the end zone. All he has to do is just catch it over the shoulder, catch it in front of his body. He goes up to kind of catch it, high point it uh, while, you know, a little bit awkwardly and drops it. And that, you know, Ratliff Williams catches that ball and it's a ball game. I think at that point it would have been 17 to seven. And then, uh, and then they went in and, uh, uh, if I remember right, that was the that was the one where they may have kicked the field goal. But uh, but that that situation puts them in a place where suddenly they've got life, and Elliot is able to get some confidence, and suddenly you know you're able to get a little bit of momentum. But when you've got a quarterback that's struggling to find some rhythm and isn't really looking comfortable, you've got some what appeared to me to be a bit of tentative uh, tentativeness in terms of how they, they approach things in terms of play calling. They were, they were not real aggressive on first down. Uh, And then you get some drops from the wide receiver core. That's a bad recipe. And then you add the inability to run the football on first down. And, and that I actually think the offensive line was better than, than what a lot of people uh, seem to think on social media and the message boards and so on. I thought the offensive line was actually okay, but I did think that the backs left some yards on the field. Uh, and, you know, it was just a little bit too uneven in terms of a run rushing, rushing uh, attack that, you know, they were in long yardage. They were in bad leverage situations, pretty much the entire uh, first half for sure. And if you're getting three and outs in this kind of scheme, it's that much more noticeable, but you know, you're getting, that first drive, run for two yards, run for three yards, one of which was the first one was a, a jet sweep. You expect to get more than that. Second drive, first down, run for one yard. Well, you got a problem, right? Then third drive, incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Fourth drive, rush for one, uh, rush for minus one, rush for one. When that's how you're starting your drives, you're behind the, you're behind the sticks a lot and when you got a quarterback that's struggling a little bit as well, it, it's it's just a recipe for an offensive apocalypse, and that's what we saw. Offensive Armageddon. But I don't think, you know, maybe this is hyperbole, but I don't think we ever thought that we would say that on this podcast when Larry Fedora got to Chapel Hill. So my question based off that is, is the quarterback – the paramount thing that Larry Fedora's got to have to have his scheme go. And that's, I'm not knocking Nathan Elliott at all. I mean, he's blessed with the talent that he has. Uh, but is a high-end quarterback what uh, Fedora has to have to do what he wants to do or, or whatever um, his plan is on offense? Because, you know, today or, or Saturday, it wasn't just – it wasn't just Saturday. It's been that way for, you know, uh, 13 months now or however long last season encompasses. So your thoughts there on that position specifically for Larry Fedora? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question, and this is for both you and Jason. What would have been the score yesterday if Marquise Williams was quarterback in that team? 
Uh, I think they were to beat them to death. Uh, I think Carolina wins by 14 or more. Jason? Um, I, I'd probably like Carolina to win by maybe 10, somewhere in there. Because again, yeah. they're, they're, and, they're, and, they're going to, and it's, and it's strictly because I think Marquise probably ends up uh, throwing a couple, a couple deep balls that end up, uh, you know, if we're talking senior year, Marquise ends up throwing a couple deep balls that are key. And also his ability as a runner in that game, I think would have been by the time they started running Elliot more in the second half, you could see the offense came to life and they'd have done that more from the start uh, with, with Williams, without a doubt. But uh, the, the point remains that, and, and as uh, Jason uh, disabused me of the notion Marquise Williams is not an NFL quarterback. I mean, he's doing fine, I think, in uh, uh, CFL as a, as a quarterback, last I checked at least. But, um, you know, Marquise Williams is not like Mitch Trubisky, you know. I mean, uh, but he was a, a fine college quarterback, a great quarterback. A very good I think college a great college. I wouldn't go right. to great, but I'd say he was very good. Very good. And it had you just take all the other pieces, leave them in place, take Elliot out and put Marquise in, senior Marquise, as Jason was um, right to point out. And, and I think North Carolina wins by 14. And so I think that answers your question, Tommy, that yes, quarterback – a, a high-end college quarterback. It doesn't have to be a NFL quarterback, but a high-end college quarterback is critical to uh, Fedora's system. Now, we've, we've talked about, um, you know, when he was at, at Southern Miss, and now the name escapes me of that quarterback. You probably remember it, Tommy. Uh, Greg, Greg talks, talks about, about him a lot. All, yeah. Uh, Austin, somebody. No, it wasn't Austin. It was somebody else uh, in his first year. But anyway, uh, the point remains that, yes, you have to have a quarterback, and not just in Fedora system, in every college football system. If you're going to win eight, nine, ten games a year, you got to have a college quarterback that gets it. He's got to have certain skills. He's got to have certain leadership skills. He's got to have certain physical skills. He's got to have certain mental skills. That's what it re- requires, not just at North Carolina, but everywhere. It, and the, the same is true for Paul Johnson's offense down in Atlanta. Absolutely. I mean, Jason, look at what right. Georgia Tech does. Look at what Georgia Tech does when they have a quarterback who really can run that system well versus a guy that you can tell they're kind of compensating for, it's a it's radically different. And that's true, like you said, for every offense, not just in college football, but pretty much in football. I mean, maybe in youth league you can get by with, you know, a couple running backs that are really good because nobody can throw at that level. But once you get to the place where, you know, you're 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 at high school and above, if you don't have a quarterback, you're gonna have trouble. So at what point, and this is why we kind of talked about this um, on the preview podcast and in the weeks before, at what point, Jason, uh, does that Baylor factor that I believe you mentioned before this game, offensive style, get the splits out, 
and I think we talked about it off the air, the, the wider splits were there, but then take advantage of that. I, I mean, I did not see much of that going on at all against California. And look, the best line in Buck's column the day after column uh, that came in Sunday afternoon on Inside Carolina was it was the 2018 Cow Bears, not the 1985 Chicago Bears. <laughs> and, and, and so – and I, I'm the negative one, so hit me up, fuss me out on Twitter or whatever. Uh, but at what point do you adjust as a coaching staff um, and recognize uh, this isn't working, let's do something different? Or if you've practiced for however long camp was and then preseason practice and then preparing for Cal, at what point do you do something different um, given what you should know what you have at quarterback? Well, again, you know, so first of all, in in a game, good coaches, any really any coaches, you're you're limited to what you've repped. If you're calling stuff, if you're adjusting and doing stuff that you didn't have those guys doing for the the week, at least the week prior to the game, if if they haven't repped it multiple times in the week prior to the game and you run it, then that's, you know, with, with the exception of, you know, maybe you add a tag to a, to a route or something, you know, Oh, well they're doing this. So we're going to run the same play, but we're going to tag the X with a go or something, or we're going to sluggo the X, you know, slant and go so that we can take advantage of what they're doing. You don't need to rep that, you know, specific thing. But aside from that, if you're not, if you haven't repped what you're doing in terms of formation, in terms of the, the specific play calls that you've got, if you haven't repped them, you can't call them. So, you know, you hear about adjustments in game and all that. And to some degree that that's usually overblown because you're, you, you, you bring to the game what you prepared. Now, ideally a good staff comes into a game with a couple different levels of contingencies saying, okay, what if they take this away by doing this? If they're able to take this away by doing this, then we need to be able to do this. So then you rep those things in practice as the preparation for if that doesn't work then we do this now the real problem and i've been on i've been in situations on the sideline where it's been like this where you go okay well we did you know number one thing and they stopped it and they've stopped it multiple times and they did what we expected there and we are not going to be able to do that so let's move on to number two you know number two contingency number three contingency and you get down down to about number four and that's all you got and you're looking at your play sheet it looks awfully short and you're going well Anybody got any ideas? <laughs> so there's only so much you can do as a, in terms of in the game of recognizing that. And if you've shifted in terms of what you're doing in terms of splits, in terms of what play calls you brought into the game as available, then you know you 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 got to go with what you brought. Uh, now, in terms of you know the second level to your your question was at what point in camp do you start recognizing like this stuff ain't working? And, you know, we got to we got to make adjustments and go go to do something else. Well, you know, first of all, you have to start seeing that that stuff isn't working in practice. And there have been enough indications that they've had some success doing what they what they were doing, that there was no reason to, to do otherwise. Plus, the adjustments that they made. This is still the Larry Fedora offense. It's just got some Baylor principles injected into it. It's got some of that extra space injected into it. It's not like they've they've completely scrapped everything and they're doing something completely different. 
It's just that they've streamlined and they've added some space and that all should be positive. But when you're not winning one-on-ones and they can cover, if they can single cover you, then those splits don't matter as much because they can still keep the guys in the box to stop the run. And Cal played basically eight, nine guys within five yards of the line of scrimmage at times. You know, so if, if you can't force them to respect you downfield, then the splits, the, the purpose of those splits to, to create some numbers in the running game, that's not going to help. So you got to win those downfield one-on-ones. You've got to demonstrate that, you know, we're going we're gonna to put some fear into you downfield for that to work. And then the other part that I, I do think they could have gone to earlier is I think they probably should have run, run Nathan Elliott and run the quarterback more in the first half. And that's an adjustment that I think that they, they came to too late. And once you started seeing that in the second half, that breathed some life into the offense. And, and they should have done a little bit more of that read game in that first half when things stopped, when things weren't working and knowing Elliott's skill set, he runs it pretty well. That's the, if, if we're going to make a criticism of, of what they could have adjusted to, it's that one. And I think they should have probably run Elliott, run more read game, read option stuff earlier in the game to try to get, get some of that, that uh, additional math and geometry on their side uh, and to use one thing that, El- that we know Elliot can do when he's struggling with his arm, go, go ahead and adjust to that earlier. Good stuff there. I, I agree. I, I think they need to start running it, spread it out and run it more. Um, but like you said, they waited too late and then whatever happened at the end happens because it is too late. Uh, let me ask you about Jersey Mike's again. We, we talked about Jersey Mike's on this podcast last time to, we we were together, mm. and on the way home from the beach, I saw a Jersey Mike sign, and of course, thought about this podcast and thought about how gracious we are that Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill is sponsoring this podcast. So I got one, and let me tell you, I'm gonna get another one come tailgate. Buck in the bowls lot, we're gonna have Jersey Mike's quick, easy tailgate. I'm down. Uh, I'll you're paying quick, easy tailgate option for your friends and family, and the Buck <laughs> and Ashley. Uh, tailgates that'll be going on on September 15th. Charlie Clinton Griffin, our guys at Jersey Mike's and Chapel Hill, or UNC fans and local residents who love the Tar Heels. They've par- partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal. Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill is offering all these IC podcast listeners 50% off their order with the code HEALS15. Think about it. You're coming to Chapel Hill for the Central Florida game. You got a family or a group of friends. Place your order online. Stop at one of the four area Jersey Mike's in the Chapel Hill area. JerseyMikes.com front slash order code heels 15. You'll save 15%. I love all of them, but you can get the original Italian, the big kahuna cheesecake, cheese steak. Or even, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to dessert later or even the bacon ranch chicken cheese steak. Skip the line, head straight to the register, grab the food. You're on your way. Do it today. Online order. Code name heels fifteen at jerseymikes.com front slash order. Okay. But let's talk about some positives on offense. And I think there was one. I really think there was one. And I'm gonna toot my own horn because I said it last <laughs> week that I thought he would be a positive that nobody was talk about talking about. And that was Jordan Brown. And he did a few nice things, didn't have a ton of big stats, but nobody did. But your thoughts on the running backs um, as a group, but also Jordan Brown individually? 
Well, I, I give you kudos for uh, singling out Jordan Brown. Uh, he was kind of the forgotten man, as you pointed out um, on a podcast last week and, and on the WCHL podcast. And for folks that don't know, uh, three hours before the uh, kickoff, uh, Inside Carolina does a tailgate show on WCHL. And, you know, I was listening to that tailgate show and I heard Tommy talking about Jordan Brown and uh, I gave him kudos. And some people may think that I, I just pick on Tommy, but when he's right, I say he's right. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to get on a, a subject later on that, where huh? I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, well, you know, you, you, you kind of try to have to keep the troops happy, you know. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, uh, yeah. I thought Jordan Brown was very, very effective and, uh, and the forgotten man, really this whole fall camp, we've been talking about, you know, different guys, Antonio Williams, Javante Williams, uh, this guy, that guy. Um, and, but Jordan Brown, it was just steady. He was Jordan Brown. Um, you, you know what you got with Jordan and he delivers. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was very uh, astute of Tommy and told him so off the air. Uh, I probably shouldn't have done that, but I did anyway. Um, we'll be hearing about this all year, Buck. <laughs> yeah, I'll be hearing about it all year, although we're going to talk about another topic here in a minute um, about linebackers in, in particular, where you know I'm going to talk about this at length, and when I do, Tommy's not going to look good. <laughs> well, we're not there yet. I got to okay. talk a lot more before we can get there. Jason, you mentioned <laughs> it earlier, and I thought so a lot. I thought of uh, uh, there were a lot of plays where, you know, whether it was Javante Williams or Antonio Williams, uh, they could have made one guy miss or stepped out of a tackle or done something and really gotten some big play yards. And we didn't see uh, much of that yards after contact that you saw from maybe Laird of California, just to be specific to that game. I mean, I, just speak to that a little bit. It, it seemed like it was just a shoestring or, or a step that they could have gotten through and really broken, maybe changed the flow of the ball game with one play. Yeah. And, and to me, you know, again, and you know, some of the listeners may not be happy to hear this, but, but one of the coaches that I'm coaching with right now is Anthony Barber, one of uh, the old, uh, uh, running back from uh, from NC State. And Garner. And Barber. Got to give a shout-out to Garner. Yeah, you know, long-time holder of the, NC, uh, of the North Carolina State rushing record and all sorts of records. And, you know, one of the things that Barber talks about with running backs that, you know, he says, listen, the one thing about a, about a running back, your one job as a running back is when you go one-on-one with a safety, when you go one-on-one with a linebacker, you got to win that, and you got you to get those extra yards. And that's something that for the most part, and actually Jordan Brown in the second half was an exception to this. For the most part, I didn't think that the Carolina backs did a real good job of that, particularly in the first half. First guy was bringing them down. You know, you were not seeing the first, the first guy to the, to the running back, you know, bounce, you know, bounce off and the back get another two, three yards. You weren't seeing one-on-one with the safety and the back, you know, back should win that and, and, and take it to the barn. Uh, but he doesn't, you know, you're, you weren't seeing that you weren't seeing the, the one-on-one with the safety in the hole and you get, you know, another three or four yards. That's what you got to expect from those backs. 
And, and that's why, you know, again, this was not a situation where the, all the blame goes at the feet of the quarterback. Now, obviously, the quarterback takes some blame. And Elliott didn't play well. But you got you, you to gotta look at the running back's play. You got to look at the offensive line play. You got to look at the receiver's play and say, you know, this. there was not a position in the first almost three full quarters on this offense that played well. Pretty succinctly put, Buck. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line, though, because I thought the offensive line may have been a little bit – it's tough to say. That says all I need to know <laughs> about that question. But, Buck, the offensive line maybe was better than people thought it looked. Uh, but tell me why that may be true, because like Jason said, the you know, when you have an offensive output like that, it's tough to heap praise on anybody, especially in the first half. But speak to the line a little bit. You know, I, I'm not going to heap praise on the offensive line. That's that's not where I was going. But uh, some people just have the impression that, oh, the offensive line is terrible. They can't do anything right. It's just awful and blah, 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 yak, yak, yak. But if – North Carolina had the stats that the Cal offense had yesterday. Wow. You know, that's all we'd be talking about right now because (laughs) the, 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 the Cal offense, you know, they had seven guys on that offensive line that played, that started at least two games. They had every single starter back. They, they had like, what, 10 guys back on offense that were starters last year and multiple guys on the two deep that played last year. Uh, the quarterback, everybody back. And the quarterback got sacked four times. There were two additional quarterback hurries. Uh, they averaged 3.3 yards per carry. If North Carolina's offense put up those kinds of numbers, then people would just be yanking their hair out. Oh, how awful is the UNC offensive line? But it was not that way for the North Carolina, at least statistically. And if you look at statistics for offensive lines, one of the things you look at is yards per carry. North Carolina averaged 4.3. That's not great. Which is perfectly acceptable. It's perfectly acceptable. How many sacks did they give up? Zero. Uh, how many tackles for loss did they give up? Two. Cal's offensive line gave up 10 tackles for loss. And if if you were looking at it objectively with any kind of sense of propriety, you would not lay the woes of UNC's offense on the offensive line. That's ridiculous. Uh, they, yeah. now yeah. I'll grant you, I, I'll grant you that yes. in in uh, as far as the offensive run blocking goes, there are plenty of times they didn't get to the second level of the defense, which if you're running an inside zone, primarily an inside zone blocking scheme and, and the kind of blocking schemes that North Carolina runs, then the name of the game is to get to the second level. You, Especially you against an odd front point. where they're where they're going with a three man line a lot and all that. You need to get to the second level to have you know second to have good success. Right. 
And and so you you double team some poor slob, you know, on the offensive uh, on the defensive line, and and then one of the guys you know, breaks loose of that double team and gets up to the second level, takes out the middle linebacker, and all of a sudden you're running free in the secondary. But that didn't happen. That did not happen. I, I don't know how to explain that. They didn't get to the second level. They did a little bit better as as Jason has talked about. I think primarily because the quarterback became a weapon in the run offense, you know, in the third and fourth quarters. And so when you've got that extra, um, you know, player to account for as a defensive line, then it gets a little bit more problematic. But um, if, if you throw up those kinds of numbers, zero sacks, two quarterback hurries and uh, two tackles for loss and 4.3 in, um, you know, yards per carry when especially factoring in the first half where they got zilch in the running game, then you look at the offensive line and you say, wait a second, you know, they were not that bad. Those are good enough numbers to win, Buck. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, uh, you know, granted the offensive line is not replete with career uh, starts. You know, JJ McCargo's only started a few games. William Sweet's only started a few games. Nick Polino's only started a few games. Billy Ross has started no games before this year. Um, and, and Charlie Heck is really your only guy that's had a, like a complete season of starts, but for the most part, they were very solid. You know, that were they, you know, the green Bay Packers under Vince Lombardi. No, they were not. Uh, but they played well enough to give the North Carolina offense an opportunity to excel. If, and, and I think all of this is coming down to, if we're going to lay the blame for the woes of the North Carolina offense anywhere, it's totally at the skill positions. The wide receivers, yep. you know, did not do all they could to get enough separation as they probably should have. And when they got those 50, 50 balls, they didn't come down with them. The running and they didn't, and left. they didn't make guys miss when they got, when they got, when they caught the ball. I mean, they went down. So they I, went I th- down as soon as they caught it each time. So if you're going to like rail on the UNC offense, rail on the quarterback, rail on the running backs, rail on the wide receivers, why we feel uh, it's necessary to heap all the blame on the offensive line, I don't get. It, it's it's not justified. So that that's my position on the whole offensive line situation. Yeah, and 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 really, I mean, the biggest thing in this game, the, the primary difference in this game is when you look at the box score, all you have to do is look at one number. Turnovers, four, zero. Well, when you're minus four, you're going to lose games. Teams that were minus four, I, I don't know what the stat was, but you're going to, it's it's like 99%. It's over 99% over like the, over the last 10 years, over 99% of the teams that have been minus four have lost the game. That that's the ball game right there. And, and Jason, they lost by seven points. 
Right. You know, and the, one of those turnovers you know, is a the, pick the, six. Right. You take the pick six away, that's the margin of victory. <laughs> Which tells you, that. and I, I think we should I think we should we should leave off. I mean, we should make sure that we we give uh at least some time to talking about how much better the defense looked because that defense they played the same Cal team they played last year and they held that Cal team to 17 points offensively. And that's despite oh, I've, I've those three turnovers game. that gave them good, good shape. Well, we're going to the defense. We're going to defense, but I got to tell you all about a way to travel to see ball games. I got to tell you about uh, a way to go travel. Have you always wanted to go to a UNC football and road basketball games? But you just came back from California. Some people surely should have, been out there with you if they weren't already with a way to go travels trip to California. But now there's an opportunity to go to the game at East Carolina should be a good one. The game at Virginia should be a good one. Chuck Joyce is the president of a way to go travel. He's a Greensboro native, diehard Carolina fan. He wanted to find a better and easier way for Carolina fans to make it to a way ball game so right now they're selling packages to get you to east carolina on september 8th that's this saturday and get you to the virginia game on october 27th bus day trips leave chapel hill gets you back safely once the game is over all the adult beverages you need you got to ride back chapel hill free and easy with chuck joyce and a way to go travel make the process easy Ride with other diehard Carolina fans and don't worry about the parking or that driving. HillsTravel.com now. Call 336-855-0060 to book. And don't forget the travel to the trip to Las Vegas. Carolina basketball is out in Las Vegas over the Thanksgiving weekend. No better way to spend the holiday to watch the Tar Heels play two games and enjoy everything Las Vegas has to offer. That package includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round trip transportation to and from the airport and the hotel and three nights at the RA resort and casino heels travel.com or call three, three, six, eight, five, five, zero, zero, six, zero to book. Now, Buck, go ahead and heap it on me. Talk about the defense because just for clarity purposes, I said last week, if we are talking in a positive way about the North Carolina linebackers on Sunday, then we're going to be talking about a North Carolina victory. I said it. I own it. Now you tell me why I'll never forget it, but because I'm never going to let you forget it. Uh, <laughs> that's that's number one. And 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 I'm going to just throw this in out there. Uh, I know that we do spend some time talking about our sponsors, but um, if you enjoy the the IC podcast and as much as I do. And as much as Tommy does and Jason, and this is one of my favorite ones, then, you know, support our sponsors, support Jersey Mike's. Um, you know, there's one actually within like less than a mile from my house that I have frequented many times in the past. And uh, obviously, you know, there are many ways to take advantage of travel opportunities and hills to travel. That's a great opportunity. Uh So take advantage of it, but let's get back to the real nub of this and why I've been looking to this, uh, forward to this podcast all day, um, is because it's weird that Tommy comes up with these oddly specific predictions (laughs) 
that are always like 180 degrees wrong. It is so weird. Um, you know, and, and the example that I talked about in my column, um, on Sunday is that, uh, Wake Forest game, uh, one of the opening games of the Fedora era, North Carolina is going to, uh, you know, Wake Forest and play. We're doing podcasts leading up to that week. And Tommy says, we're talking about Michael Campanero. And he says, there's just no way one receiver can beat North Carolina's defense. And what did Campanero is still running through the, <laughs> the middle of the field, catching passes. As, as far as I know, he has not stopped yet. Uh, <laughs> and, and then this week, he says, if we're talking, of, and he's already given that, so I, I won't repeat it. I, it. It was just like rubbing salt in the wound. But North Carolina's, line, North Carolina's linebackers, to my knowledge, have not played that well. I can't remember well. We, we got to go back to the Butch Davis era, I'm guessing, when, when they had Quan and Bruce Carter and those guys. Uh, since North Carolina's linebackers have looked that good. And for all the heat that Cole Holcomb has take, taken over the years, to have a guy in that linebacking core like uh, Dominique Ross, who really just shut down anything that was, you know, the, the wide shallow cross, which Jason could talk about forever. You know, the, the quick slants, the middle of the field, short area, uh, kind of zone areas. Dominic Nick Ross was just, he shut it down. I mean, and, with him and Cole Holcomb on the edges and John Smith in the middle, they've got a linebacking core that's really, really, I mean, it's in the past we've talked about, well, maybe they won't be horrible. Let's just see, you know, if they can't, they can avoid being horrible. Well, they're beyond that. They were, or they were against Cal. Yeah. Let's, let's um, not, and, let's not make this into a trend right, yet, uh, Buck. Let's, uh, I'm right, still right. a little I, bit I, in I, wait I, and see. Two points I agree, make a line. But, we got one right now. Well, I, I agree. I agree. But last year, Cal ate North Carolina's lunch with that same series of routes. You know, the shallow cross, the drag plays, the quick slants, all of that, the middle of the field. That Cal beat North Carolina to death with those plays last year. This year, obviously, they know, Cal knows how to run those, but they weren't there. So, I, I, if it weren't for that, I was, I would be more in line with, yeah, let's not, you know, the, the whole, uh, you know, uh, Winston Wolf quote from, uh, you know, uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie, uh, I'm leaving you, you know out what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let's, let's not go there, but, uh, you know, I, I think it was a huge improvement, uh, a huge improvement in terms of linebacker play on Sat yesterday, and uh, which factors back into Tommy's uh, 
oddly specific, but 180 degrees wrong quote that if we're talking about great linebacker play today, then obviously North Carolina must have won the game. Well, they didn't win the game, but the linebackers played great. So there's my point. I'm so happy to have made it uh, with my good friend, Tommy Ashley. All right, Jason, uh, bail me out a little bit. I will say this, uh, you know, Ross is the one guy that stood out to me when I saw practice that, you know, he was a guy that impressed me then. And I, I think I remember uh, sending you something, Buck, saying, you know, I, I thought, you know, I thought he covered pretty well. And he, he looked like a player, uh, you know, so that actually is two points. <laughs> you know, that um, that that's a that's two points, you know, for, for him in that sense of two points make a line that there's a trajectory there for him to, to look pretty good, at least as a coverage linebacker. And he looked pretty physical, too. So. Uh, so that's a a, a major uh, plus from this game. I think the bigger plus, though, is what North Carolina was able to do up front against an experienced Cal line. That now, unfortunately, they're going to be limited by suspensions for a little while. But that Carolina defensive line caused a lot of havoc. I mean, you mentioned a bunch of tackles for loss. They had some sacks, uh, and they had some near sacks too that that, that they didn't quite get, but. They they really made Cal's life difficult on offense with what they did up front. And um and and it looked like really they had six or seven defensive linemen that really are uh to to you know go all Virginia on you, ACC level players. I thought they played well. I thought you know, I thought Carney looked as good as he's ever looked. I thought Fox not as active as Carney was, but Buck, I mean, and we can sort of talk about this forever. You've got, I believe it was Jalen Dalton had a had a, a penalty. I don't want to pin something on somebody if it wasn't right. Yeah, it was Jalen Dalton. But he had a bad penalty. We he had a bad penalty, and then he turns around and makes a good play. I mean, that is just the way it's gone for North Carolina. But let's let me talk, let me ask you both about this. And, uh, Buck, I want your opinion because you've been watching this stuff as long as I have. I have never seen a North Carolina football team consistently win the penalty battle as Larry Fedora's has over the last seven years. And it's, you know, he said it out of the gate, turnovers and penalties. That's the game right there. So my question is, at what point does it get fixed if it ever is going to get fixed? You know, I, I am – as puzzled by that as you are, and I have no answer to your question. I'll say this, that they spent a lot of time and a lot of focus. And Jason knows this is as good or better as anybody on the special teams. They, they have a huge focus on special teams. And in that focus, they produce excellent special teams more often than not sometimes they're just you know better than average above average and sometimes they're terrific and they were terrific yesterday they didn't have a lot of teams have a lot of penalties on special teams it's easy to get penalties on special teams north carolina does it so much they had a big one on that onside kick but a questionable call but I'm not going to get into that. I don't, I'm not going to raise any conspiracy theories here. But when North Carolina focuses on a particular area on the fedora, 
they seem to do very well with it. Why they cannot get the penalty situation corrected, I do not have an answer for. I cannot answer that question. Uh, yesterday, it was like 124 yards of penalties against North Carolina, 35 against Cal. That's huge. That is massive. And, and uh, you know, oftentimes, those penalties directly lead to successful drives, successful scores. Uh, when uh, Cal could do nothing offensively against North Carolina's defense, the basically the only time the, the Cal offense got bailed out was because either Nathan Elliott threw an interception or uh, the North Carolina defense uh, committed a penalty. And I, I don't know how to explain that. I bet Larry Fedora doesn't know how to explain that. And it, and on an insider level, it's a puzzlement to the to the North Carolina powers that be that somebody who is as disciplined personally as Larry Fedora, and he is an extreme. You can look at him, and you can tell he's a intensely. Uh, focused person on discipline, you know, he, what is he now? Like 56 years old or whatever. And he could whoop Tommy's butt and <laughs> that five seconds flat. I mean, that's fair to say, Tommy, you'd admit to that on a bad day. Why doesn't that translate? Why doesn't that translate his personal discipline? Why doesn't that translate to discipline on the team? I don't have an answer for it. I wish I did. Uh, and, and maybe Jason's got some sort of response to that, but I, you know, I can't, I can't find an answer for it. Jason, we talked about this a little last year and, yep. and yes, we did, and we could talk about, I just don't understand it. And people want to say, oh, the refs don't give Carolina the benefit of the doubt. Blah, 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 blah. I, I understand that. But look, we are seven years in and a, 10 years into a coaching career, and there's one consistent. And I don't know if that's fair to say or not. Uh, you coach the game. Uh, you've been around a lot of these coaches that have coached the game very successfully. There's one consistent factor in all of those years, and that's Larry Fedora. And his teams, for whatever reason, are undisciplined. And it has cost them time and time and time and time and time again. So at what point does it get fixed? Is it capable to be is it capable of being fixed? You know, Miami could get away with it back in two thousands when they were beating the hell out of everybody because they were so much better than everybody. And they could, you know, get the late hits and all that stuff, but it's just it's beyond ridiculous at this point. But to jump in a second, Florida State got away with it for a lot of years too, and which is something Jason's very familiar with. Well, down at Florida State, the general view was well, t- uh, the the view of the coaching staff. What 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 Florida State used to say, and I can say this with some authority, as you know, is basically we'll take some aggressive penalties once in a while. We'll accept those. So your occasional late hit on the quarterback, uh, your occasional, um, you know, personal foul late hit out of bounds or, you know, just that sort of thing. 
they'll accept those kind of aggressive plays. But what they what they had zero tolerance for was the stupid, stupid penalties. So that's the you know pre snap infractions, the false starts, the uh, offsides, the you know illegal motion, you know stuff like that 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 handicaps you, that knocks you off at the knees because it either allows the the opposing team to continue a drive or it basically submarines a drive that you've got. That's the stuff they'd have no tolerance for. And and so you do have to draw a distinction between the, the, the penalties of aggression and the penalties of a lack of, of attention to detail or a lack of, um, of, uh, uh, concentration of or whatever. And, and of stupidity. Yeah, of stupidity, you know, but a lack of discipline. Um, but, you know, here's the thing is I do think that this winds up being overblown more often than not because, you know, I look at last year uh, and, you know, it's not surprising when you, when you start to see who's at the bottom in terms of yards, in terms of penalty yards, and a lot of the same teams show up. Uh, you know, after week one this year, Alabama is one of the one of the teams at the bottom this year. Alabama had 111 yards and penalties last night. You know, that that's actually not that uncommon for them. Uh, so, you know, Alabama's pretty dang good. Uh, but, you know, they it, so it's a matter of what kind of penalties you're getting. What uh, you know, when those penalties happen matters, too. You have to have, you know, some you know, there has to be something there. Now, Alabama, by the way, last year finished 21st in terms of lowest penalties, you know, the higher, or the, the lower ranking is better there. You want to be, you know, one is, is you're, you're the most disciplined. So they were 21st last year, uh, which is it's pretty dang good, but you know, they've had their share of, uh, of, of penalty ridden seasons, but you know, you go down the list and you get successful teams that get penalized a lot quite frequently. Uh, what you're what you're not going to want. The other thing that I'm going to toss in there is holding penalties. Holding penalties are usually a symptom of, uh, well, some of it has has to does have to do with officials' perception, which uh, you know I, I think there's been some uh, evidence of that with some studies done. But um, but beyond that, you get holds because you're not moving your feet properly. There's poor technique involved. Something happens where you end up needing to hold on offense or defense. That's another one that is a, is not a sign necessarily of a lack of concentration. It's, you know, it's a technique thing as much as it is anything. But as far as the other stuff, the stuff that drives you crazy as a coach, there's only so much you can do. Uh, And, you know, you find what you try to find ways. And again, I, I, we talked about this at length last, last season. So I don't want to spend too much time on it beyond what I already have. Uh, but, you know, you try to, you try to uh, incorporate, you know, penalties within practice. You try to make sure that you're going on, on different counts in practice. You try to make sure that you, you emphasize this stuff on a daily basis so that your players are, are constantly that, that, that notion of discipline and practice of watch the ball on defense and make sure, you know, the snap count on offense, these sorts of things are reinforced but beyond that, there's just not much you can do because sometimes players get into a, into a situation where there's pressure on or whatever, and that happens to be the one thing that leaves their head. Uh, the other night, uh, we were as, as the high school I coached for. It was fourth and, uh, fourth and four, and the entire coaching staff for roughly 15 seconds just repeated over and over again on the sideline, watch the ball, watch the ball you know, don't jump, watch the ball, make, you know, be disciplined, watch the ball. 
I listen to every one of my jumped. other, all of our defensive coaches do that. Listen to every one jumped. of our defensive coaches do that. And our kids jumped two of them, two kids jumped when they, when they hard counted. And we all looked at each other and just threw our hands up and we're like, really? Every one of us was just yelling and shouting. This is the one thing you need to remember for this play. The only thing. And we had two kids jump. And at that point, you just kind of go, well, there's not much you can do as a coach sometimes. <laughs> They're kids, I suppose. Yeah, that's not a good enough answer. I'm going to take a short break, come back, wrap it up. Buck, I'm asking you uh, your thoughts on the week ahead when we come right back. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. All right, we're back. But East Carolina lost to A&T. Carolina lost to Cal. Uh, how excited are you to see the Tar Heels down in Greenville on Saturday? <laughs> I am thrilled. I am thrilled. Uh, they definitely need this. Uh, East Carolina is not very good. If uh, North Carolina goes down there and struggles, then I, I think I'm taking the rest of the year off. Um <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, go on vacation and maybe uh, visit a Tuscan villa in Italy for the rest of the year or something. (laughs) Uh, But they definitely need a positive experience, and East Carolina offers that possibility because they are very, very bad. Um, So we'll, we'll just have to see. I'm interested to see specifically how North Carolina's offense rebounds from this because East Carolina's defense is not Cal's defense. Now, Cal may not be the 85 Bears, but Justin Wilcox is really an excellent defensive coach. I mean, he was the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. That's their calling card. Uh, there's lots and lots of uh, defensive gurus that have come out of uh, that system, Dave Aranda and other people that are really know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, maybe I can get Jason to comment on this a little bit because it's kind of an interesting sidelight. A lot of times yesterday I saw uh, North Carolina to go to, two down linemen and two upright defensive ends. I haven't seen a lot of that in the past. Um, I bet I saw as much of that yesterday as I saw in like the previous three or four seasons where they, they left their defensive ends upright two point stance only had their defensive tackles in a three point stance. And maybe Jason could comment on that, but, I thought that was a very interesting development and, uh, you know, four sacks, 10 tackles for loss. And it wasn't just a defensive line, which we talked about in the past or in, on this podcast. 
Uh, it wasn't just a defensive line. Jonathan Smith, you know, got, you know, in the backfield. Dom Ross got in the backfield. You know, the, the front seven actually, you know, really spent a lot of time in the backfield of uh, the Cal Bears against what should be the best offensive line they faced maybe all year. So, uh, you know, that would be my answer to your question and also a lead-in to uh, Jason's thoughts on the changes we saw in terms of the stances that were taken by the defensive line yesterday. Jason, you got it. Wrap the show. Yeah, as far as the stances, I mean, I think, you know, usually you do that on a on a um on a long yardage situation where, you know, sometimes your guys are more comfortable rushing out of that position. Uh they can get, you know, a little bit a little bit quicker get off sometimes. Most guys can't. Most guys are actually faster out of a three-point. Sometimes though you 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 do that because you're worried about uh, a runner at quarterback and you you want to make sure that they can actually see better. Uh, and, and, you know, that they're in a position to get their hands up against quick game and also in position to be able to see what's going on in the backfield as they're, as they're coming off the ball. So there can be different reasons to do it as a, as a D line coach. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the reason was for the, for it in this particular game, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of it, uh, given the, given the personnel and given the, again, the emphasis on getting into the backfield quickly with this group. Uh, they they really are. I mean, Papuchis in year two is really trying to emphasize putting pressure on 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 teams and 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 reinforcing uh, that aspect of things. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And as far as ECU is concerned, uh, they appear to be just what the doctor ordered after uh, after this week one loss. So uh, we'll preview that uh, as usual come uh, come Thursday. But yeah, wow. Um, has there been a quicker demolition of a of a pretty good group of five program than what has happened at ECU over the last three years? Uh, no, I was reading a tweet as you were talking. Fire Ruff and McNeil goes 42 and 32 or 42 and 34 into four bowl games for Scotty Montgomery to go six and 19 and lose to an FCS team two straight year, two straight seasons. Yeah. Unbelievable. Good stuff, boys. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Buck, glad you made it safely back from California. Jason, glad you could join us for this one. Uh, We'll talk again to you, Jason, on Thursday night as we prepare for East Carolina. And, Buck, I'll talk to you again, I hope, Tuesday night with your favorite or third favorite, excuse me, Mike Ingersoll. I appreciate it tonight, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Enjoyed it, as always. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.